How are all my patriotic, resilient lions out there? Feeling the rise of determination, willingness to have a great attitude, and the acceptance of the fact that patience is a skill we all must develop. We may talk on fringe topics and the paranormal here, but in all honesty, my true purpose is to develop and teach warriorship and accountability. Stacy here, your serious but goofy friend once again coming to you from the Pacific Northwest in the middle of an in-your-face government dictatorship, dropping all the mics at Fringe with Benefits, coming to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Stacy Socials was mind-blowing like it always is. First, real quick update on that Murdoch attorney guy whose family was murdered and who, like, tried to fake his own suicide. Wait, he tried to fake his own robbery death. He literally paid somebody to shoot him in the head and it just injured him. And he, you know, concocted this entire story in which he had a flat tire on this rural road and somebody tried to carjack carjack him and was going to kill him. So his other kid, the surviving child, would get life insurance money. Well, he's actually been arrested and he's actually in jail now, or so we think. Totally crazy story. If you've been following it with me, I just wanted you to know about that. The first thing that I noticed that was nutso was this attorney, Thomas Rents, he presented this crazy revelation at the Clay Clark Reawaken America Tour event in Colorado Springs. I guess a whistleblower came forth and this attorney, Thomas Rents, is now publicly presenting hard data from the largest database available in the U.S. that studies this COVID-19 impact, including the deaths and injuries the CMS Medicare tracking system. The data from this Medicare tracking system reveals that 19,400 people less than 80 years old have died within 14 days of receiving this vaccine. In addition, 28,065 people have died that are over the age of 80 within 14 days of receiving this vaccine. Total number of citizens that have died in 14 days receiving this vaccine is 48,465 according to the hard data in the Medicare tracking system. Under penalty of perjury, she estimates that at least 45,000 people have died from this vaccine, which we know way more, right? Fact checkers and other fact checking services claim this is misinformation, but revelations solidify that this trusted news initiative is actually the source of misinformation and propaganda, and that Attorney Thomas Rents and the whistleblower was correct all along. The attorney moved his attention to focus on the amount of people that were being killed in American hospitals by Fauci's instituted protocol of remdesivir. He says he's also in position of remdesivir death data from the Medicare tracking system that has been withheld by the government from our citizens. This data reveals that 7,960 beneficiaries prescribed remdesivir for the covid 2,058 died. That's 25.9%. 46% people of people died within 14 days of this treatment. This treatment was established in U.S. hospitals at the direction of Dr. Anthony Fauci. There are serious adverse events that were reported in 131 of the 532 patients who received remdesivir. That's 24.6%. The most recent data from the VAERS system as of September 2021 reveals reports of 726,965 adverse events in the U.S. following vaccination, including 15,386 reports of deaths, 99,410 reports of serious injuries, and that's just between December of 2020 and September 17th. The presumption of significantly higher real numbers is supported by a 2010 Harvard Pilgrim study, which found that fewer than 1% of vaccine injuries are reported on VAERS. In addition, even vaccine manufacturers have calculated at least a 50-fold underreporting of adverse events. We are being completely sideswiped and people are being murdered right in front of our very eyes. You'd think that that would be a hard thing to say. I mean, it's a hard thing to realize, but it's right in front of us. The data is there. People are outcrying that this is actually happening. 
Next, we have the Department of Defense program called Project Salus analyzing data on 5.6 million Medicare beneficiaries age 65 or older and found that most hospitalizations for COVID-19 are among the fully vaccinated, with numbers increasing as more people get vaccinated. This data backs up what experts have been predicting for months, that mass vaccination against COVID-19 will, will result in mutation and strengthening of the SARS-CoV-1 a phenomenon called antibody-dependent enhancement. This will drive up the rate of infection and spread the virus even more. Project Salus data suggests that the majority of these infections in study cohorts among, occur among those fully vaccinated with outcomes worsening over time. Additionally, based on this analysis, individuals who have contracted and recovered from COVID-19 boast natu natural immunity, which offers the strongest protection against breakthrough infection. In one of the presentation slides, it says, quote, breakthrough infection rates five to six months post-vaccination are twice as high as three to four months post-vaccination. This data brings into question the overall effectiveness of these vaccines and the Biden administration's call for boosters over three to four months. The study data reveals that by August, 71% of all cases were unvaccinated individuals. In addition to being under contract with the Department of Defense to conduct COVID-19 surveillance and population risk mapping for severe Medicare, severe COVID-19 Medicare patients, Humetrics has partnered with the Department of Defense since 2010 in online record sharing through its iBlueButton platform. Following the release of this data, the Humetrics data, experts echoed what the information conveys, affirming, quote, these data, this data presented here, shatter the official Biden-Fauci narrative that falsely claims that America is experiencing a pandemic of the unvaccinated. The data shows that the pandemic actually appears to be accelerated by the vaccines, while unvaccinated individuals are having far better outcomes than the vaccinated. Furthermore, according to this data, the single best strategy for avo avoiding po post-vaccine infections and hospitalizations is natural immunity derived from previous infection, end quote. Are you fucking kidding me? And they're still pushing this bullshit? They're trying to approve it for children, 5 to 12. They've already approved it for 12 and older. And they've already mandated this vaccine in schools all across California. People are outraged. People are losing their jobs because of this stuff. They are pushing something on us that is potentially harmful not helpful, harmful. Okay, the next one is an article by um, nobulart.com. It's the COVID-19 vaccine ingredients and they're talking about the researchers that have actually looked at this and have verified this is what's in it. So August 20th, 2021, Dr. Robert Young published his team's findings after analyzing four dominant vaccines using the phase contrast microscopy transmission and scanning electron microscopy, and energy dispersive x-ray spectroscopy. Their findings both confirm and expand upon prior investigations carried out by Dr. Pablo Campra from the University of Almeria, Spain, Dr. Juan F. Gaston Ananos from the Hospital de Babrastro in Spain, as well as the recent pathology reports from autopsies of vaccinated deceased, which were carried out by Professor Dr. Arne Burkhart, Professor Dr. Walter Lang, and Professor Dr. Peter Schirmacher in Germany and Austria. Many of these substances were observed as being bonded to graphene oxide or metallic nanoparticles. Graphene oxide nanoparticles are necrotic. They're able to pass into and through physiological barriers, including but not limited to the blood-air barrier, the blood-testes barrier, the blood-brain barrier, and the blood-placenta barrier. Over a period of several months after intramuscular injection, as much as 75% of the graphene oxide nanoparticle delivery platform and most of the substances listed below are transported extensively through the bodies of mammals into the blood, brain, and other organs. Some of the many toxic effects of graphene, graphene oxide are myocarditis and blood clotting. Contamination in vaccines appear to be so common that one might be forgiven for thinking that it's deliberate. So in this article, there is a chart that shows all the different vaccines and identi the identified ingredients. So we've got 
You'd have to look at the chart yourself, but you've got aluminum, bismuth, ca cadmium, calcium, carbon, chloride, chlorine and saline solution, chromium, copper, graphene oxide is in all of them, iron is in all of them, lead, doesn't look like lead's in them, but there is magnesium, manganese, and nickel in some of them. You got nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, potassium, selenium, no, silicon, silicone, sodium, sulfur, tin, titanium, trypan trypanosoma, which is a parasite, and that one is definitely in the Pfizer and it is possibly in the AstraZeneca. Vanadium is in the Pfizer. It looks like the Pfizer has most all of these things, most all of them. You'll have to look at it yourself. It's linked below. These findings are compositionally consistent with some of the declared contents of Pfizer and Moderna and that there's further quantitative analysis of the contents should make it possible to identify the likely chemical compounds which have not been identified by the manufacturers. Considering the experiment that was carried out in Kenya in 2014, they suspect that human chorionic gonad gonadotropin, HCG, composed primarily of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen is possibly one of them. The discovery of stainless steel and unidentified black particles in the Moderna vaccines in Japan may account for some of the iron, carbon, nitrogen, aluminum, silicone, titanium, copper, and or selenium detected in that particular chimera. Moderna are claiming that stainless steel inclusions were accidental contamination and limited to some batches only manufactured by the Laboratorios Pharmaceuticos Rovi headquartered in Madrid. Dr. Young's team observed nanoscale shards of stainless steel in the AstraZeneca and aggregate stainless steel particles in the Janssen. More recently, reports are coming out of Japan revealing the presence of unidentified floating white contaminants in the Pfizer vaccine. They are claiming that it's undissolved vaccine ingredients. The components which have not been declared include, these are the ones that they say that they, they do not claim that are in them because they have given us ingredients list, but this is what there is in them that they're saying isn't. We went through most of these. We're not going to do that again, but one of them does include graphene oxide and trypanosoma cruzi, the Chagas disease parasite, and possibly trypanosoma brucei, the African sleeping sickness parasite. So th that was reported in MHRA reports and four VAERS reports. Visual evidence from multiple sources indicate what appear to be Hydra vulgaris in some of the vaccines as well. Why are there freshwater pulps? That's what those are. Those are animals that live in freshwater. So main mainstream media has been pushing stories about potential outbreaks of Chagas disease, which is the trypanosoma cruzi, for several months. So here's a quote from a article. Texas is now engaged in a major conflict with COVID-19. However, it will not only be the sickness of the state it will have to cope with in 2021, the state also faces a possible outbreak of Chagas disease. There's also been some recent media reporting around snake venom as a possible source of compounds for treating COVID. There's similar research looking at scorpion venom as a treatment for Chagas. This makes sense if we're dealing with a living parasite against which these complex toxins are effective. This may also explain the effectiveness of the antiparasitic drug ivermectin, which has demonstrated promising results as possible treatment for both the trypanosomas. Most metals exhibit some form of toxicity when injected, but the potential of harm increases exponentially when a human body containing magnetic or diamagnetic nanoparticles is placed in the powerful field produced by magnetic resonance imaging equipment. So they're saying urgent warning. MRI scans are causing serious injuries, including paralysis in vaccinated patients. Patients are showing clear signs of having magnetized particles within them post-vaccination. This article was just really sophisticated, had so much information. I suggest if you're interested, follow the link for more information. And there are sources cited. Bizarre and freaking mind-blowing. The next one is, you know, this is something that's been talked about forever but nobody nobody ever really wants to be like this is probably fucking going on um it's a alienufosightings.com article about strange artifacts found on the dark side of the moon there's been independent researchers studying images on the moon's surface and have found many anomalous structures 
See the link for the in-depth article with images of things found on the dark side of the moon. There is no coincidence that we haven't gone back to the moon. In fact, we have, and we do, potentially, you know? So don't ever poo-poo the idea that there are structures on the moon, because most likely we have stuff up there. If you've ever heard of the secret space program, maybe we'll do a weekly topic on that sometime. The next one is crazy. There was this maniac that tried to abduct a toddler in the Bronx in broad daylight. He was held on only $15,000 bail. And then he was ordered to stay away from the kid, right? His name is Santiago Salcido. He's 27. He was arraigned on an attempted abduction charge for allegedly allegedly trying to kidnap a three-year-old girl named Liliana Repka. Little girl was walking with her grandma. This guy ran up and grabs her. There's video footage of it, so there's no allegedly. We fucking see him do it. He grabs her, wraps her in a blanket, and tries to run off. According to the police, he dropped the little girl after he was confronted by a good Samaritan who heard the grandmother screaming. This mom of this little girl says, quote, I want to press charges, but I don't want him to go to jail. I want him to get help. Jail is not going to help him. At his arraignment, his public defender, Angeline Anderson, quoted her when she asked Judge Seth Steed for leniency. She says, I ask that your honor have the same compassion and understanding for Mr. Salcido that the complainant's mother did. Anderson, the attorney, requested her client receive medical treatment and mental mental health services, and the judge granted it. When setting the bail, the judge describes the case as very serious. Well, yeah, it's serious. He tried to kidnap a baby. The defendant faces up to 15 years in prison for this kidnapping. Okay, for one, he needs help. He need, Maybe. Maybe he has a mental illness in which it would cause him to try to kidnap a three-year-old child. What if, what if somebody was going to pay him for that child. Would it be a mental illness that would cause him to do that deed or was it greed? Is he working for somebody? Why would they release him on $15,000? What if it's not what we think? What if he isn't just mentally deranged and is trying to steal babies off the street? What if he works for some fucking human trafficking? I've heard some crazy stories about people that produce digital child porn too that people are paying their bond and they're getting out just to go back and do the same thing and that they're just out all the while before they've even been sentenced so which means they don't have to register on the sex offender database nobody knows what they've done unless they actually saw their house get raided who's actually paying for the bond for these people and why are we allowing that to happen The next article that just frickin' rocked my world was a New York Times article. I didn't even read it. It's titled, Black Americans Vaccine... Oh, okay, so basically it's more black Americans, I'm paraphrasing, more black Americans have decided to get the vaccine, and this is what they said. So I didn't want to create a login for a subscription. I really didn't want to read this trash. Um, I think the journalism nowadays isn't journalism. It's just an attempt to sway more black Americans to appeal to their emotion and make him think others have gotten it. It showed up in my breaking news feed and was pushed to millions of people who definitely have reservations and distrust, but, and it didn't just come from nowhere. People have distrust in the government. Why? Because they are not transparent with us. They are not allowing us to make the decisions for our own health and happiness. They're pushing things on us that, like I said, are fucking harmful. It's an issue. The next article is a little lighthearted. Demi Lovato believes that using the term aliens when referring to ETs is offensive. And it's a derogatory term, right? So I've heard this before. It wasn't someone super uber famous like Demi, though. And maybe the term alien might be derogatory, but seriously, they don't really think, they don't care what words we use. Quote, I think the ones that bother me are that they are harmful or they'll come and take over the planet. That people say that aliens are harmful and come take over the planet. She says, I really think that there, if there was anything out there that would want to do that to us, it would have happened by now. And further explains, but I think that if we have to stop calling them aliens because aliens is a derogatory term for anything. That's why I call them ETs. So yeah, that's a little tidbit, a little information I learned. I think that the world is becoming a more open place. Slowly but surely, I think that we're making progress. And we're slowly getting there, but you know, any progress is progress. End quote. So I agree with her here, and I think 
I think she heard this from someone else, which might be the same person I heard it from, was that alien is a derogatory term that they would prefer to be called ETs. She's basically being made fun of because she's in the spotlight. And ridicule is sometimes unwarranted, if not all the time. And she opened up to us and shared something personal. I don't think that she should be made fun of, even though I chuckled some upon hearing this. She's only human and has some issues for sure. I cannot totally say I like her, but I'm not going to judge her either because we are all imperfect and say stupid shit occasionally. So that was just in the headline. So I wanted to share that because it was kind of interesting. <laughs> the next one is, this is a super suspicious article and that's why I wanted to talk about it. NBC News says adults shouldn't take daily aspirin to prevent heart attack, panel says. So now they're telling people not to take a daily aspirin. And I'm suspicious of this because I just read a study that aspirin decreases the severity of COVID and decreases blood clotting conditions. So why would breaking news be telling people not to take an aspirin daily? Well, let's see. An influential organization changed its guidance. The previous guidance recommended a daily low dose of aspirin for people over 50 who are at higher risk of heart attacks or strokes. The updated guidance recommends that adults in their 40s and 50s only take aspirin as a preventive measures if their doctors determine that they are at a higher risk for heart disease and that aspirins may lower the risk without significant risk of bleeding. Previous guidance didn't address anyone younger than 50. People ages 60 or older are now advised not to start taking aspirin to prevent first heart attacks or strokes. The draft recommendations don't apply to people who have already had heart attacks or strokes. The task force still recommends they take it preventively. Dr. Aaron Mykos, an associate director of preventive cardiology at the Johns Hopkins um, Center for the Prevention of Heart Disease, who isn't a part of the task force, says... For anyone who is on aspirin because they've already had a heart attack or stroke, it's a very important medication. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the U.S., and according to the most recent data available, 29 million adults in the U.S. take aspirin daily to prevent heart disease, even though they don't have histories of it. Aspirin acts as an anticoagulant, meaning it helps prevent blood clots from forming. Newer studies that inform the latest task force recommendations found that for most healthy people, the risk of bleeding caused by aspirin outweighs the benefits of preventing blood clots. For the same reason, the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology jointly issued similar recommendations in 2019 stating that people ages 70 or older shouldn't take an aspirin daily to prevent heart attacks or strokes because the risk of gastrointestinal bleeding was high in relation to the benefit of aspirin. I can imagine that that's probably legit. Older people do have gastrointestinal bleeding sometimes. Dr. Chen Wen Sing says aspirin only has a benefit if someone has an increased risk for heart disease. But isn't that the number one killer? And that they shouldn't be starting just because they have reached a certain age. He is actually a member of the 16-person tax force. He says the widely known recommendations that endorse daily aspirin use for decades were based on research conducted before other prevention approaches were available. He says we've gotten a lot better with other medical therapies and the aspirin, recommend aspirin recommendations were developed during trials conducted before statins were widely used and smoking was more widespread. The incremental benefit of aspirin in contemporary medicine does not provide as strong as a, of a benefit for primary prevention as it once would. So they do emphasize the extreme importance of lifestyle changes, and I am so glad that they are doing that. They say that it's the best and biggest way to prevent heart disease. They don't get much on it, but it, they do mention good nutrition, exercise, taking care of stress, and stopping smoking. Still, it goes on to say that the anti-clotting benefits of aspirin do outweigh the risk of bleeding for many people, and these doctors emphasize that they should talk to their doctors about whether or not it's beneficial. Mykos says, this is just for primary prevention, meaning people who have not had a bypass or stent or cardiac event. For people who have already had an event, we're trying to prevent another, they should continue aspirin. So for everybody else, they want you to stop taking that aspirin. I would imagine if the vaccine causes blood clotting, you might want to take that aspirin. So I literally called my mom. I was like, hey, you're still taking your daily aspirin, right? So hopefully she's still doing that because she has got warrior blood and Adonis DNA, as Charlie Sheen likes to call it. <laughs> the next one is wild. 
New York Post article, New Jersey man survives a nine-story plunge by landing on a BMW. You have to see this. He jumped nine stories from a high-rise in New Jersey, landed on a BMW. He fucking survives. 31-year-old crashes through the roof of this black Beamer, stood up with his right arm dangling and says, What happened? Onlooker, Christina Smith, 21-year-old little girl, says, I heard a big boom and I didn't think it was a person at first. The back window of the car busted out, exploded, and then the guy jumped up and started screaming. His arm was all twisted. He was like, what happened? And I was like, you fell. (laughs) And she says, I was thinking, thank God, it probably helped that he had a fluffy jacket on. (laughs) And she thought the coat may have shielded him from deeper wounds. I don't know, but that cracked me up. So she calls 911. She takes photos and videos of it including graphic footage of this guy screaming with his injuries. Video shows a mask strap is still dangling from the guy's ear. Despite falling all that way, the man still had his fucking mask hanging from his ear. The people that work inside the building said it was unclear while he was there. He had refused to give the cops his name and was not being cooperative. He stayed there until the police and ambulances came, but kept saying, leave me alone, I want to die. One of his arms was clearly broken, but he was conscious. So can you imagine falling nine stories and fucking surviving that shit? Holy shit. There's been other incidences where people have jumped off buildings and landed on another person. They both freaking died. So I just, I don't even know. I don't think that his fluffy jacket probably saved his life, though, which is, I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. (laughs) The last thing is a post that I thought was really important and very sad is from Spike Cohen post. This is what it says. This man is a picture of the black guy, and it says that this man's name is Marvin Guy. He's been in jail for seven years without trial, facing the death penalty because he allegedly killed one of the home invaders who broke into his home and opened fire on him. Why? Because those home invaders were cops. Kylene, Texas police, had been surveilling Martin's home for quite some time, based on a tip from an informant that he was selling drugs. Unable to prove that he had done anything, they decided to conduct a no-knock raid. Judge gave them a no-knock warrant in five minutes. At 5.30 in the morning on May 9th, 2014, police broke into his home. Days earlier, a home invasion of a woman's home, which resulted in her being seriously injured, had shocked Marvin and his neighbors. Believing himself and his family to be in danger, Marvin defended himself, allegedly killing one of the officers. I say allegedly because it's possible that the officer died from friendly fire. During the raid, the officer tripped and set off a flash grenade, and officers began firing everywhere, endangering themselves, Marvin, his girlfriend, and the entire complex. So they don't even know if it was friendly fire that killed this cop or Marvin. So Marvin is completely freaking innocent, and he is a victim, in my opinion. Okay, it goes on to say, Once Marvin realized the home invaders were police, he surrendered. Police responded by threatening to murder Marvin and breaking his girlfriend's ribs. Police found no drugs, not even for personal use, nothing. Texas is a castle doctrine state, which means that the state government is supposed to recognize Marvin's right to defend his home with lethal force if he is threatened. In fact, a Texas man named Henry Godrick Maggie had been released just a few months earlier after killing a police officer when they no-knock raided his home. And earlier this year, the city of Kylene government passed a ban on no-knock raids, which makes the way that the police broke into Marvin's home illegal. Despite all this, Marvin was charged with murder of a police officer, which carries maximum penalty of execution. He sat in jail for seven years and counting with no trial. He has dismissed three different public defenders for whom he all says they all pressured him into to accept a plea bargain. He doesn't want to plea. He's innocent. The Post goes on to say that this is what the war on drugs, the failed criminal justice system and the thin blue line culture of police lawlessness looks like. Free Marvin Guy. Free Marvin Guy. There's somebody that we need to. He's alive. He is in prison and he faces execution because of corrupt police tactics and corrupt criminal justice system. So that's it for my socials this week, guys. Accountability segment. This is where I talk about all the mistakes I've made in my life and on the podcast and address all the haters and all the all the bullshit out there when you get emails or 
comments from someone who's just unhappy with what you're doing and they've got to make sure that they tell you that you're doing something wrong. You know what I'm talking about. All those trolls, all that crap. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. I started in a new job. I've been training my replacement and I am really excited to start in a new field and running my own business. And it's always scary doing something new, but I'm, I'm way excited. So if anyone's super curious, I will be happy to disclose, but if I have any stalkers, motherfuckers better be careful because I am in a dangerous target. I don't think anyone would mess with me, but you never know. So be prepared for a fight if you're going to get froggy, I'll tell you that much. It seems that my hobbies take backseat to everything else, and I suppose that that's good, um, and it's reasonable. I also have to fund my own hobbies because I don't have this following that just pays my bills, like these influencers. Good lord, god bless them, but damn, how is a gamer or a makeup tutorial influencer making millions of dollars? I want some of what they got, right? I'm genuinely happy for them, but I want to know how they do what they do because I, I have a charity to fund and I want to help the world. So that, that needs some backing. I'll keep plugging away because I deeply and intuitively feel that we're on the path in which we learn the most in our current life stories. So any and all issues that I have or you have, I imagine that we experience them for a reason. I want the freedom of unlimited finances like anyone would, right? Don't you? As far as the last episode, episode 54, I don't have anything to be accountable for, but I'm waiting to get hate mail so I can respond. <laughs> I did get a snarky comment on my Second Amendment flag on my Instagram. He said something like, well, I used to like you, but now I'm not so sure. I just hearted it and moved on. I didn't respond. I got more shit for my American flag and don't tread on me flag at the rally we were at a few weeks back. Someone, someone else said something like, God, don't tell me you like Trump, too. I don't remember what I responded with, but I'm pretty sure it was something like, Marsha, 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 why are you so hung up on Trump? Don't we have bigger problems besides whether some reality show celebrity might like a political figure, another reality show celebrity? Why the hell do people even care? One thing, I realize that a lot of my topics are pretty heavy. I will always say that it's better that we look at it and talk about it than ignore it. We have so many problems because people ignore shit instead of facing things head on. I believe totally in accountability and personal responsibility. And if one won't look at what's right in front of them, they're a total punk ass in my eyes. I understand why people don't want to face things, why they want to ignore things and look the other way. But because this lack of personal responsibility, we have the government and the leaders that we have. All of the problems are all of our fault together and we are all responsible to fix them. So next time you want to take your Saturday and binge watch Netflix instead of go to that political rally or that school board meeting, you are a part of the problem because you are refusing to be a part of the solution. We rest when we are dead. And until then, we fight for the freedom of our children and our grandchildren. Stop leaving messes for the next guy. And lowering our standards and expectations is not the answer. End of rant for the week. <laughs> Let's knock the business out of the way. Follow me on all my social medias. You know which ones there are. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You can find me, Golden Valkyrie, pretty much anywhere. Fringe with Benefits has a Patreon. It's linked below. I'm on Not the Bee. That's a cool one. MeWe, Parlay, Gabs, and Mines. You know, if big tech gets taken down, we're going to have to really start to fill up some of these new social media sites. There are other ones, too, and I don't even know what they are. You can find me on Rumble and BitChute. YouTube is at Golden Valve Purification. And go subscribe to the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel linked below. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating review and share the show. You don't even have to be mindful of the disclaimer. I don't care what people think. Go visit the Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage linked below and click the support the show button. Thanks again to all of our subscribers. If you're supporting the show, you are supporting Inward Survival. You rock. Our mailbag this week has some incredible stories and I'm going to give you one of them by a Naked and Afraid alumni. Sarah Burkett sends this one. She says, I have a weird dream and a coincidence story that I'll never forget. So she had a weird dream and then coincidentally it happened. She says, 
When I was 15, two months before my 16th birthday, I had a dream for a few days in a row that I got into a car wreck on the I-40, and it was around a seatbelt and a strawberry milkshake, and then there was a giant billboard that said click it or ticket. The vehicle flipped and I was crying in the dream and running towards something in the road. There was a woman holding on to me and I couldn't see her face and it was very vague. Fast forward three days from the dream, my boyfriend at the time, who had just turned 17, came over and picked me up so we can go do something. We had no set plans. We started driving and we stopped and got milkshakes. As we were about to hit the exit for I-40, he said, I have never driven on the interstate and I'm nervous, so do you want to drive? I said, no, I only have my permit and I can't. What if we get into a wreck? We could get into so much trouble. I reassured him that it was okay that he could do it. He had his wallet in his back pocket, and it was bugging him. He took his seatbelt off to get the wallet out of his pocket. We're now on the I-40. There was construction at the time. Three lanes had been made into a two. A blue Mustang, early 80s model, pulls up beside us with three males in the early 20s and starts yelling and making obscene gestures at us. My boyfriend flips him off, and next thing I know, the Mustang slows down a touch and rams the back driver's side of our small SUV, like a pit maneuver the police do. We lose control of the car. Last thing I said to him was, holy shit, we're going to hit the bridge. We flipped six or seven times. I woke up, but my boyfriend wasn't in the car with me anymore. I look around. First thing that caught my eye was a billboard that said, click it or ticket. Then I spotted my boyfriend. He was about 500 feet back laying on the road. I climbed out of the window and started running to him. Traffic was still flowing somewhat, and I ran in front of a semi to get to him. Paramedics showed up. One of them removed me from holding him and placed me in the grass on the side of the road. I'm watching them work on him. All of a sudden, someone grabbed my hand and said, you will be okay. I turned my head, and there's a lady sitting next to me. She talked to me for a few minutes and comforted me. Last thing she said to me is, you will be okay. You have to let them tend to you. Stay calm. The next thing I know, I hear one of the paramedics come over to me and say, who are you talking to? I need to address your injuries. And then I realized the lady was gone. I have no idea what her name was or how she came and left without a trace and no one else saw her. My boyfriend died that night. The men who caused the wreck only got probation. The doctor said if he was wearing his seatbelt, he would have survived. The majority of the damage was to my side of the vehicle. You know, she says she's sorry for this long story. And she's still baffled to this day by all the weird similarities in the dream. Wow, Sarah. For one, I'm really, really sorry that you lost your boyfriend so tragically. And how strange that he just so happened to take off his seatbelt to get his wallet out. And how strange that the billboard was there and that the woman, this mysterious woman, was there. And how bizarre that it said, click it or ticket. And the milkshakes and all of the strange coincidences surrounding your dream freaking coming true. And no doubt, that was a traumatic experience, but an amazing, an amazing story all in one. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. I guess, you know, in my response to her email, I shared that my mom was in a motorcycle accident shortly after 9-11, 2001. And she was laying on the side of the road while, you know, everybody else was, you know, right, you know, they had pulled over their motorcycles. She was laying on the side of the road while they were waiting for the helicopter to come and airlift her. And these hikers came out of nowhere and they had laid hands on my mom to pray. Everybody saw them, but then they just walked off and they have no idea where they came from or where the hell they went. But it was totally just out of this world strange. And no doubt, Sarah, I believe that that woman was some sort of spirit guide or angel or somebody who came to comfort you in that moment. Crazy good mailbag. Okay, if you have a crazy story, a coincidence dream story, a ghost story, a situation in which you feel somebody sitting on the side of your bed but nobody's there, a hat man story, a rake story, and no, not a yard rake, like a fucking scary ass cryptid rake, send them to me, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. And I'm just realizing that the last two mailbags were about car wrecks as teenagers, tragedy and near tragedy occurring, and in which there was some sort of supernatural force that had intervened. Interesting. Send me your mail, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com.
weekly topic this week is something a little bit more lighthearted. I figured that I would do some, you know, recent and semi-recent cryptid sightings. I figured that, you know, everybody likes to hear these crazy stories. And I found a really amazing dogman story. It's just kind of mind-blowing that people actually run into this stuff. So let's go to those. First one comes from phantomsandmonsters.com, upright canine cryptid sighting. Quote, I was born and raised in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, and currently still live here. The sighting was an hour west from Philadelphia and a half an hour away from Valley Forge. I ran into your Facebook page through Weird Pennsylvania or something similar, which led me to the webpage Phantoms and Monsters. I was reading some things and saw where people had experienced encounters and sightings could email you with their story. I've had two experiences where I've seen things I cannot explain. I'll start with the most recent. Last year, a friend and I went for a ride to catch up with our friend. It was in March 2020 on a Saturday night, and it just so happened to be the weekend when the quarantine started. We were on Route 422 around midnight, and it was odd because that highway is usually pretty busy on a Saturday night, but that night we saw maybe three cars within a 30-minute ride. We finished visiting our friend and started to make our way home. It was around 2.30, 3 a.m., and we were going westbound on Route 422, and again, we were pretty much the only car on the road. There was a grass patch that divides the eastbound and westbound highway. We were in the fast lane between the Collegeville and Royer's Ford exit when all of a sudden we passed something to the left of us in the grass. We couldn't see it until we were right up on it and only can catch a glimpse of it for a second. This thing looked like it was on all fours, maybe eating roadkill or something, but unfortunately I can only see it from like the waist hips down. It was much bigger than a deer and had longer, unkempt, straggly, orangish, reddish fur. Kind of like the color of a red fox, but a little lighter in color. What really gets me was the legs on this thing. It had canine-like legs, but they were huge and muscular. It just had that shape that instantly told me this thing was not something you wanted to fuck with. The legs looked like the drawings... I've seen of werewolves or something super evil. Something told me that this thing could walk on two legs also. After we passed it, I asked my friend who was driving, did you see that? He replied, yeah. I asked him, what was that? He replied, I don't know. Neither of us brought it up again during that ride because I think we were just trying to process what the hell we just saw and didn't want to sound crazy. When I got home, I told my boyfriend about it and he had no idea what kind of animal that lives around there that it could have been. Next time I saw my friend who had been driving that night, we both agreed that whatever we saw does not fit the description of any animals in the area and that it was really scary looking. He calls it the beast. A couple months later, another friend was leaving my house and heard something across the street making a loud guttural growling noise, which scared him straight to his car and out of there. He, it, he was an animal control officer for years and says nothing around here would make that noise. Then about a month after that, my boyfriend was taking out the trash. When he got to the front door, he heard something scratching at the door and sniffing loudly. He said it sounded like a pig grunt sound, but obviously it wasn't a pig. This past October, my friend was sitting in his car in my driveway waiting for me to come outside. I noticed his doors were locked when I went to get in the car. He said he heard something that sounded kind of human, but didn't know what it was and it scared him. Once I got in his car, I told him everything I wrote here and ended my story to him saying, a few months ago, I saw something on a Route 422, and before I could say anything else, he said, I saw it too. So I asked what color it was, and he described the exact same fur, and then he said, when I saw it, it was running on two legs across the highway, and once it saw my car, it took off really fast like nothing around here would be able to. My heart was beating so hard listening to him tell me this because I know he wasn't making it up. I was glad someone else saw this thing. He doesn't know what it was. He said it was about seven to eight foot tall and looked nefarious. He agreed its legs looked evil. I don't know how legs look evil, but whatever. Really muscular? Man, your legs are so buff, they look evil. <laughs> anyway, she said he saw it around the same time of the year as her, and it was about the same time of night. I drive this highway all the time and look for it every time, but haven't seen it again. That's about it for that story. I wonder if any other people saw this thing and what the hell it was, W. So a note on this report, Butch Witzkowski and the person that um, manages this website says they're continuing to gather information on these sightings and encounters in Pottstown in the area south of Route 422, both Montgomery County. Definitely want to get on a map and see what's up with that. There's a lot of weird sightings in that area. A lot of these particular kind of sightings. And I know we've talked about Dogman here before. It's probably one of my 
most favorite topics because it's just so fucking bizarre and so scary. Like, what the fuck is it? Is it some sort of chimeric experiment gone wrong or experiment gone right? Who freaking knows? But it sounds absolutely terrifying. And there's lots of stories out there about these things killing people's dogs or these things being very confrontational and very sinister. People being stalked by these things. And there's a lot of these stories. And that's why it's just too weird and too phenomenal not to look at it or not to talk about it. I don't get it. The next one is from the nationalcryptidsociety.org. This is about a strange horse-like creature that was spotted in Prescott, Arizona. Prescott is surrounded by a national forest on two to three sides. The area near Thumb Butte is a very dreamlike atmosphere. This person's 2011 sighting was confirmed by a family in 2018. She says, I was at Thumb Butte Road in Prescott, the city limit sign, at the city limit sign on her bike. Suddenly, two to three houses in front of me, 100 feet or less, was a four-legged creature that was as big as a horse. It had four long legs like a horse. It immediately tensed up its whole body, ready to fight. Its face was round, brown-beige fur, and the fur formed a shaggy beard, almost a mountain man-like beard. It was long at the chin and cheeks. And this person, I'm thinking it's her, was on a bicycle. She says she hopped off and slowly walked backwards and then found another route to town. It was 3 p.m. in 2011. Most people on that road aren't home at that hour. It's very quiet. In 2018, her friend told her that his neighbor saw the same creature near Thumb Butte in the forest. His kids saw it, and, and he didn't believe them. He pointed this creature out as he saw it too. Same description, horse size with the other features. So it's kind of like a horse with a really weird face. What the fuck is it? Is it a mutated animal? Is it another chimeric experiment gone wrong? Is it like a natural mutation? But usually uh, wildlife that have mutations, they usually won't survive. Who knows? The next one was submitted by Brian, location Dalonega, Georgia, November of 2003 or 2004. Quote, I was leaving church one night after dark. As I came to a stop at the end of the driveway, I saw a hairless humanoid creature walking across the road about 11 yards to my right. There was a nearby street light, so I could see it fairly clearly. It had a completely normal human shape with tan leathery looking skin and no clothing. It was the size of a four-year-old child and walked like a normal human. At first I saw it from the side, but it was most of the way across the road. I, it turned as if it were looking at me. Upon turning its head toward me, I could see it had no eyes, nose, or lips. It had smooth indentions where the eyes should have been, a smooth slight protrusion where the nose should have been, and nothing where the mouth should have been. It also had no noticeable ears. It did not respond to noticing me other than the two seconds it faced towards me. It continued on its straight path up a small embankment and into the woods. As it climbed up the embankment, it crawled on all fours the same way a human might when climbing up a steep hill. I was walking from the direction of a gravel road, Lee Anderson Road, between a pump well business and an old barn. I walked north across Cavender Creek Road and into the woods on the other side of the direction of Ricketts Lake. The area has lots of hay fields, woods, hills, and creeks. Further north is a national forest. I haven't told many people about this because it makes me sound crazy. People think I'm making it up or I was on drugs. Neither is true. I have searched for similar sightings for years and I haven't came across anything that resembles what I saw. My hypothesis is that it might live in a cave somewhere close by. There are plenty of caves in that area that could explain why it had no eyes. Some people have said it's probably an alien. I doubt this because it was not carrying anything and it was not startled upon seeing me. It seems like if it was an alien that ventured far from its craft, it would have been carrying something either for protection, navigation, or collecting samples. Well, not always, but why would it have no eyes? I think the cave, cave hypothesis is a pretty good one. And it resembles maybe a smaller type rake. Very weird. Definitely caught my eye. Definitely got my brain and my mind boggling. The next one is submitted by Stephanie. The location is Sedona, Arizona, September 2008. She said, 
My late husband Jack and I were taking care of my mom at the time. She took daily walks both in the morning and the p.m. In the morning and the evening when we had gone around the corner of a street, maybe two streets away, passing by an empty lot. I estimate the time between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. So approaching dusk, and now we're about 20 feet from the fence surrounding it, and out of a shadow, this enormous black dog appears, like the size of a huge Great Dane, but pitch black, and has a head of a wolf, and it looked like glowing eyes. It traveled the length of the fence, turning its massive head at us. Oh my God, did you see that? I gasped. I can tell you it was so black and terrifying looking that we were shocked. We had heard stories of strange phenomena in Sedona. At first I thought it was a stray dog, but it was huge, and its body must have looked like it was seven feet in length and just enormous in breadth and width. Its legs were huge as well, and it just appeared in the most frightening way. Just walking in our neighborhoods like it was stalking us. We only saw it for a few minutes, but it was freaky to say the least, and it moved swiftly in a strange hulking gait along the fence, perhaps guarding the property? I don't know, but you just ran an article about hellhounds, and this creature was about as close to that as I can remember. That did not look like any dog I'd ever seen. But like that huge black dog in Harry Potter, really weird. I just had to share this because you think, oh, I'm imagining this, but seeing the huge black shape and hearing it walk through the bushes, you feel like you are witnessing the unexplained. You absolutely are. Maybe next week we will do a weekly topic on Sedona, Arizona, because that place is wild and Superstition Mountains. Maybe we should revisit Missing 411 because that is real-time, actively happening, strange phenomenon. Quick guest spot, I want to mention Elira Apparel. Go check out those amazing crotch zip jeans at aliraapparel.com. Go look at those. I am totally fucking excited about these pants. Just go check out this website. It's linked below. And then also go check out Grace Harbor Ghost Hunters. You're going to see me on the homepage. Lots of cool links if you're into the paranormal. It's graceharborghosthunters.com, linked below. And don't forget, November 13th, 2021, the Warrior Battalion Ruck March in Aberdeen, Washington. See the links below for donations or whatever. If um, I have decided not to do the raffle. If you want to send a check by mail, it's P.O. Box 195, Hoquiam, Washington, 98550. Make the checks out to Warrior Battalion. I can send you a receipt if you like for tax purposes. Just let me know. All these links are below. Let's give these um, organizations some support. Inward Survival School of Magic, I want to talk about anxiety. There's a lot of people out there that allow anxiety to like completely paralyze themselves. It's, you know, it causes them inability to go to work. People are on disability because they have, their anxiety is just so out of control. They can't deal with people. They can't leave their house. I mean, it's unbelievable how how paralyzed, how incapable of people are of getting, getting past this. And it's something I don't really understand. Of course, I experience anxiety. And of course, I know what it's like to have struggles with mental illness. Of course, I have anxiety and depression myself. But I have always thought that it was, you know, a virtue to be able to overcome these things. I, I don't know if I was raised differently, or if I have, you know, different thinking. But part of my idea to persevere, to have success, to exercise fortitude would be to overcome certain fears and disabilities, I guess you might say. I wanted to look into what Eastern philosophy says about mental health and what, you know, maybe our ancestors or the, 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 the early Stoics said about anxiety and mental health issues. The Big Think has this article about Eastern philosophy and mental health. They say that one of the solutions for anxiety and other mental ailments are set forth by Taoists is the idea of mindfulness or being within the present moment. And this is where the art of meditation has emerged from. One of the great translators of Taoism, Alan Watts, codified this way of living in his seminal work, The Wisdom of Insecurity, A Message for the Age of Anxiety. In this book, he argues that our primary way we delude ourselves from the present moment is by leaving the body and retreating behind our minds. The boiling pot of countless worries, thinking, categorizing, and calculating space where anxieties and thoughts pouring over thoughts remove us from any truth of the real moment at hand. This is where he states that the primary consciousness, 
The basic mind, which knows reality rather than ideas about it, does not know the future. In other words, our thinking facilities are divorced from the actuality of the experience. In the Tao Te Ching, a small book filled with immeasurable wisdom, instructs us on the basis of Taoism. And in this book comes an interesting concept called Wu Wei, which literally means without exertion. Wu Wei is the act of not going against the natural rhythms of the present while learning to get out of your own way. Meditating and silencing of the overanalytic mind is what Wu what Wei proposes to offer us. And this is where we see Buddhism, Tao, yoga, and other assorted religions of the ancient East. And they offer us a renewed psychology of the mind. There are many similarities between Eastern philosophical ways of life and Western psychotherapy. Both deal with the concern of changing our consciousness for the betterment of humanity and helping us get rid of negative ailments such as anxiety. Where they converge is within their categorization of what is considered a well-suited and enlightened individual. Alan Watts says, the psychotherapist has, for the most part, been interested in changing the consciousness of peculiarly disturbed individuals. The disciplines of Buddhism and Taoism are, however, concerned with the changing of consciousness of normal, socially adjusted people. Modern Western approaches to mental well-being largely focuses on the symptoms and not the root causes. The mechanization of mental health treatment often muddies the water even further. You contrast this with the ancient Eastern religions that approach self-care for thousands of years through the act of meditation, breathing exercises, and a yogic life. And with those who are adept at centering themselves in the now. And they are constantly living in a state of self-directed care. These approaches to emotional distress and anxious turmoil recognize that the issue stems from the delusion of self and future. Two ironclad concepts we in the West still hold very close to our identity in our culture. From this renewed Taoist perspective, we become the arbiters and shrinks of our own psychology. When worries about scenarios that may never manifest are substituted with grounded, thoughtful deliberations, we regain a sense of potent agency. This all said, it seems that an integrative Taoist philosophy may indeed reduce anxiety when followed by an individual. Absolutely. It is in our own minds in which we literally make ourselves crazy. We will worry about shit that hasn't even happened. My mom always used to say, well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Some of the wisest words I've ever heard. I also wanted to know what Plato said on, the, on mental health. There is a scholarly article written by Kenneth Seekin, and I'm going to read to you the abstract real quick because it gives you just a basic understanding of what he talked about. It says, this essay examines the history of the concept of mental health. Its origin can be traced to Plato, who argued that immortality is to the soul what disease is to the body. The purpose of this argument was to answer those who thought that morality is a set of social conventions, and in that sense, is contrary to nature. Plato responded by turning to those who made a systematic study of nature, the medical writers of his day, and claiming that if proper balance is needed to maintain a healthy body, the same is true of the soul. Thus, the natural state of the soul is one in which the various parts agree on which should rule. This does not mean that Plato sought to excuse immoral behavior by treating it as a medical condition, only that he regarded immoral behavior as contrary to nature and thus treatable. Later attempts to define mental health are not as rigid as Plato's. It is remarkable how many of his insights are still applicable, in particular the claim that morality and mental health, though not identical, are nonetheless linked. A case in point is the experience of wanting something but not liking the fact that you want it. Plato regarded internal conflict of this sort as a paradigm case of psychic dysfunction. I argue that we can regard it as either a moral failing or a mental one. So the fact that we, we approach the concept of immorality as being a mental dysfunction, I think that that is a huge step in the right direction. And that none of these things are fixed. They all can be changed. I think that it's the willingness and the acceptance that people are incapable of looking at or acknowledging or owning up to. And I think that those things are really important for somebody to be able to grow or to accept that you can't possibly change certain things or that you don't know what the future holds. So maybe 
Just maybe, if you focus on the present moment, your anxieties might just be imaginary. Our stoic thought of the week goes to one of my favorites, Marcus Aurelius. He said, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Accept the things to which fate binds you and love the people with whom fate brings you together, but do so with all your heart. Whenever you are about to find fault with someone, ask yourself the following question. What fault of mine most nearly resembles the one I'm about to criticize? And last, what we do now echoes in eternity. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for joining me.